Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about the subject of rewards. This program is a continuation of this subject. And in the previous program, I ended with 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, where it says, beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And the key word in this passage is found in verse 14, at the end of verse 14, where he says he will receive a reward. And so people will look at this and they will consider that, well, there will be a reward for the building that we do in our lives, a reward of some kind that God will dispense. And because of the lack of detail concerning this, because of the lack of information, people can assume that this represents a reward that you will receive from God when you physically die and you enter into his presence, that there will be a decision that is made at that time such that you will be rewarded for your efforts in terms of what you built. And again, there are many opportunities where people can talk about what they built, how they built on the foundation of the Lord Jesus. But here in this case, it's my opinion that what Paul is talking about is our own personal growth, our own personal pursuit with regards to how we live our lives in the pursuit of our God, in the pursuit of truth, because we begin our Christian life not knowing very much at all. Everyone who starts out in their Christian life gets saved. They are considered to be a baby in Christ, and they need to grow. They need to mature. At the beginning of our living experience with the Lord, we should hopefully have a good understanding of what the gospel is. But what that implies and how that will integrate within our lives, how that will become a part of our lives and what the implications are concerning the forgiveness that we now have and the inheritance that we now have, that is a living experience. That is an experience of discovery and also the discovery of how to apply what we have received from our God. And so it's a living experience and gradually what happens is, is that we replace the things that we believe with those things that God says are true. We tend to believe a lot of things that are not true. And through our relationship with our God, he illuminates to us reality. He illuminates things in our lives. He illuminates the world in a way that we can see things through his eyes. We can understand things as he understands the world that we are a part of. And so as we begin to conform more and more to his point of view, 
as we learn and discover and grow more in our knowledge of our God, we experience change. And this change can be described as building on the foundation that we have in Christ Jesus, where we learn a little bit here and a little bit there. Some of the things that we learn about our God are not true. There are things that people present. There are things that people believe. You know, we could go to the Christian bookstore and we could see a lot of books on a lot of subjects, and some of them don't agree with each other. If they don't agree with each other, it's because one of them is wrong, or both of them are wrong, but not both of them can be right. These are the things that people build on their faith. They build views, perspectives, opinions, doctrines, and in time, through the struggles that we have in our lives, there will be opportunities mainly through suffering, but there will be additional opportunities through things like study or through listening to different speakers about different subjects. On the radio station where I'm broadcasting this program right now, there are many different speakers and teachers who teach things that are not the same as what I teach, and I teach things that are not the same as what they teach. It is acceptable to a certain extent with the understanding that there are some things that we cannot accept as being deviations from the truth, but other things can be considered to be acceptable in terms of different points of view or because they're not really essential to our Christian faith with regards to whether or not we're going to go to the kingdom of heaven. There are decisions that people make concerning to what degree they will tolerate what. But the point is, with regards to this verse, is that there will come a time, either through the natural tribulations of life, or when we go before our God, and that will be an opportunity for a purification to take place. This is a description of that purification, and he uses the words fire and burned in order to exaggerate the point that some of these things that we believe should not be part of our building, part of the construction that we engage in. They would be considered to be wood, hay, and stubble, stuff that's going to go away. It will go away. At some point, there will be a discovery of the truth concerning the subjects that we have a tendency to argue with each other about. At a certain point, there is going to be a purification, and it's something that God will oversee. God will do, and these things will be refined, and the reward is what's left over. The reward is that in the midst of your pursuit, surely some things are going to go away. Some things are going to be disposed of. They're going to be recognized as things that you believed that were not true. But there will be other things that will remain, and that will be a reward. The reward is what you have left over. Once the refinement takes place, because of your effort, because of the work you engaged in, in your pursuit of a knowledge of your God, an understanding of your God, because of the effort that you put into this pursuit in your own personal life, you will be rewarded for that. You will be rewarded with the things that remain. And so that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15 refer to. This is not a reward, as most people are considering a reward, in the sense that you do a bunch of things, and then God officially gives you some reward as compensation or as a payment for what you did on his behalf. This is something different. This is something in terms of what you get to keep that you acquired that turns out to be true. 
Continuing on into 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 16 through 18. Paul says, beginning in verse 16, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. In this case, the word reward is used. He identifies a reward. What is the reward that he gets? The reward is that he gets to proclaim the gospel, and he gets to do so without charging money for it, and he gets to do so without abusing the authority that he has from God. He gets to proclaim the gospel. That is the reward. The reward is being able to proclaim it. Some people will take the position that if they proclaim the gospel, then God owes them a reward. But in this passage, Paul describes it as the reward is proclaiming the gospel. Imagine how this might play out if Paul is going to be rewarded for proclaiming the gospel in addition to having the reward of proclaiming the gospel. If that's the case, then every time that Paul proclaims the gospel, he is rewarded twice. He gets rewarded because he got to proclaim it, and he gets to be rewarded because now God is going to owe him because he proclaimed the gospel. I honestly don't think that that is how God is going to look at this. Some people would like to believe that, and of course, If that is true, then the purification that they one day receive as they are evaluated by their God, I am confident that if it is true, it will remain. And if it is not, it will go up in flames, just like Paul described in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. But I want you to understand that in 1 Corinthians, the way that Paul describes rewards here, he describes the rewards differently than what I find a lot of people are thinking when they think about the subject of rewards. Is it a reward that you get to keep the things that you embraced that are true? Yes, it is. Is it a reward that you get to be a participant in the work of God, proclaiming the gospel, the good news about who he is and what he's done, that you can tell people about the Lord? That is your reward. You believe the truth And you are rewarded by being able to be a participant in the proclamation of that truth. These are rewards that we can experience now. And we will also, in terms of refinement, we could experience more when we enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so that's what I wanted to show you in terms of 1 Corinthians and how it is that rewards can be realized right now. And how they can, of course, be a little bit different than what people will often think of when it comes to this topic. From here, I'd like to go into the Gospels, where the Lord Jesus spoke about the subject of rewards, because he did. Now, most of what I have here in my notes with regards to what Jesus said, not all, of course, but most of what I have has to do with the Sermon on the Mount. When he was proclaiming what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, I've got a number of verses from there, and I will go through them in just a moment. But to begin with, I wanted to let you know that I do have a series of recordings that I've produced on the Sermon on the Mount that is in the Living God Ministries radio archive. If you've not listened to those programs recently, please do so. 
Take the time to review the Sermon on the Mount and to get a good understanding of what the purpose was of Jesus' ministry and why he said the things that he said to the people at that time. What he was effectively doing was he was telling the people that they needed to be as perfect as God or they would in no way enter into the kingdom of heaven. His intent was to establish a standard that the people could pursue so that hopefully they would eventually meet this standard, be blessed by God, and of course have eternal life because they met the criteria that God gave in the law. It was a call to people to return to the Mosaic Law or to do so with greater enthusiasm. And the reason why Jesus taught that was because that was the covenant that was in effect at that time. The Old Covenant was about obey and you will be blessed. Jesus added to that by saying, if you obey completely and fully so that you are like God, then you will have eternal life, which the law did not present But the Lord Jesus did present as an extrapolation of the law, which, of course, I believe is completely legitimate. But the intent of it was to show the people that they could not achieve eternal life. All of this was about the fact they would not be able to achieve eternal life, and they certainly will not be able to obtain the blessings of God. And in addition to that, they are not going to be able to obtain the rewards from God. So when you go through the passages related to the Sermon on the Mount and the subject of rewards, they are going to be presented in the same context. That was the message that he was presenting. That was the fundamental purpose for his ministry, was to reach out to people, invite them to live in obedience to their God with the incentive that they will be blessed, with the incentive that they will receive rewards, with the incentive that they will receive eternal life. But the point was that they would never be able to achieve it. His disciples eventually asked him, Who then can be saved? And he said, With men, this is impossible. That's the point. The point is is that the Lord our God can throw out as many incentives as he wants, but he will never have to deliver because no one will ever be as perfect as God. Through your pursuit, through your striving, through your efforts of trying to obtain what God is offering as blessings, rewards, eternal life, you will discover your depravity. You will discover the fact that you definitely will never achieve any of this and that there has to be an alternative if you are going to have any hope whatsoever. The alternative is forgiveness. Reconciliation through the cross, the restoration of life through the Holy Spirit. That's the point. The point is, is that there is nothing wrong with the old covenant. The point is, is that there really is something wrong with us. And we have to acknowledge that we have to embrace that so that we can receive the grace and mercy of God in accordance with the new covenant. So when you see the offers of rewards and blessings, those kinds of things, in the passages related to the Sermon on the Mount, and he does also convey this through the parables, speaking the same message parabolically, you need to understand it in that context, that it is an invitation, it is an appeal for those to have an incentive to at least try, so that eventually, through their sincere attempts, 
if they will be sincere, if you will be sincere in your pursuit of trying to do all that God has commanded, you will hopefully come to the end of that and realize that you are hopeless, everything is hopeless, outside of the grace and mercy of God. So beginning in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, verses 9 through 12, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, I won't get into the details of the blessedness and the Beatitudes per se. I talk about this in the Sermon on the Mount. In this program, I'd like to focus on verse 12, where he says, Great is your reward in heaven. You will receive a great reward because you were persecuted, because people said all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. If they do it legitimately, you're probably not going to be rewarded. But if it's false accusations, speak evil against you falsely, don't worry, you'll be rewarded. And this, of course, is in the context of the whole message that he presents, which means that they certainly would speak it falsely because you are as perfect as God. God will eventually reward you for the suffering that you experience on behalf of him in the name of the truth. He will compensate you. This is not all that he says about it, but the Lord Jesus does mention it as a reward that you can experience. Now, the issue that I really want to present concerning this right now, though, is the fact that some people will intentionally pursue conflict and try to incite people into persecuting them or speaking evil against them. I have found individuals who genuinely try to engage in conflicts with other people. They are intentionally rude to other people in the name of religiosity or religious pride. They will be rude to individuals trying to provoke persecution, trying to provoke people saying negative things about them so that they can feel as though God is going to reward them for that. I really don't think that that is what the Lord Jesus had in mind when he said this. But there are a lot of people who genuinely believe that. If you are persecuted like the prophets were, and if evil is spoken against you falsely, perhaps one day God will reward you. But I don't think he's going to owe you that because you're not going to be able to go to him and say that you observed all of the commandments as Jesus said in addition to what he said in these verses. You see, it's not just what he said, it's what he said in addition to what he said here. It's everything that he said. And you're not going to be able to go and collect rewards on the basis of God owes you. He may reward you. He may acknowledge you. But again, that will be his decision and his discretion. And if he doesn't, then you definitely have no cause against him whatsoever. These are just circumstances that took place in your life, and the Lord will have a conversation with you about it, I'm sure, if you would like to. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, we have something similar, where he says, beginning in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. 
Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. You know, there may be some truth to this with regards to being in his presence in the kingdom of heaven, where he does issue a reward or an acknowledgement of things that you did in secret that nobody else knew about. Perhaps he will have a conversation with you about this and let you know that he saw what happened. To me, that would be a great reward. I would appreciate that quite a bit. But I don't think that's necessarily what the Lord Jesus is saying here. So while that is true, and he may have said that here, I would say that the greater emphasis would be the fact that according to the pharisaical beliefs that were extracted from the Mosaic law, if a person does a charitable deed, if they do a good work, then the Lord would bless them as a result of what they did in accordance with the law. The law says if you obey, such as loving your neighbor as yourself, then the Lord your God will bless you and he will do so openly as a way of confirming the reality that you are obedient to him. And everyone will see that. It will be publicly expressed. God will endorse you. He will bless you. And through that, there will be the evidence that you are a good person, that you are obedient to him. In that context, what you have is another reward, that you are rewarded because other people acknowledge you because God has given the evidence. So this is how they would have heard what Jesus said. But again, in the greater context, in terms of everything that the Lord Jesus said here in the Sermon on the Mount and elsewhere, what he was saying was that this is a standard. This is a greater command, a greater instruction for people to observe, to try and be like God. If you do something that's good, don't tell anybody. Because if you don't, then God will reward you. And if you do, then you get your reward. The greater standard is the greater standard of doing so in secret and inciting God to bless you as confirmation, which, of course, you will never be obligated to do because you will never love your neighbor enough. You will never do so perfectly. That was the point of the message. Further down into verse 19, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, he doesn't give you much detail with regards to how you would lay up these treasures in heaven, but you can extrapolate from the law that there are things that you can do to love your neighbor as yourself, and there are things that you can do secretly, and so the Lord may bestow blessings upon you openly during your life, but he may also rack up some debt, you know. And so when you go to heaven, then at that point, he may give you some treasures of some kind, whatever they may be. Now, I personally do identify with this myself in a certain way, in the sense that I do value something more 
than whatever I can acquire here on earth as a treasure in order to help secure my own life, my own physical life, in the event that I have trouble or difficulties in my life. How am I going to be able to take care of myself and those who depend on me, for example? And so I do recognize the value of that, but there are other things that I do value more. My relationship with my God. I value that a lot. To me, that is the greatest treasure that I have. And I can increase that now. I can increase my relationship with my God through my pursuit of knowing more about who he is. Through asking him in prayer to tell me more about who he is. Through identifying the things that I believe that are not true and correcting those. Increasing my knowledge of the truth, my understanding of the truth, and my understanding of who he is as a person. To me, this is increasing the treasure that I have that is in heaven, my God who is in heaven. To me, that is the greatest treasure that I could ever have. He had a lot more to say. I can certainly go through a lot more verses with regards to this subject, but I think this is enough for you to go on. And so please do take the time to study and understand the things that I have said and then go through the other passages that you have a question about and see how the things that I talked about may relate to those. And you can also contact us through the Living God Ministries website and we can answer questions that may be of help as well. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net